Donald Trump reportedly so upset about impeachment that he demands hourly back rubs and ordered Melania to massage his emoluments. <laughs> Asked about Mick Mulvaney's admission of a quid pro quo, Kellyanne Conway told Reuters, quote, the man you saw at the podium was not Mick Mulvaney. There are alternative Mulvaney's. <laughs> and the Senate parliamentarian rules that when he gives a speech, Lindsey Graham may indeed have a fainting couch nearby. <laughs> Welcome to the Wolf Pack. I'm Carl Wolfson along with Paul Block, Dylan Hydes, and Kim Upham. And our show, of course, produced by the one and only Patrick Zahn. We come to you from Portland, Oregon, wolfpackpdx.com. Welcome, gang. Good to be here. Well, good to be here. Welcome back. Kelly. By the way, you mentioned Kelly, uh, 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 Kellyanne Conway and Mulvaney. There is rumored today that she may be the one that replaces Mulvaney. That's right. She's one of the, I just wanted the to two candidates. Start things off mentioned. on a really, really crappy note. And I yeah. want to say it's nice to have all four of us here. It's our first show in a while with the whole gang back. So good to see it's your wild. faces. It's it's like three good. weeks. I got to go away more often. You guys said such nice things about me. <laughs> yeah. And then I was listening in the car with my aunt. I kept interjecting my own. <laughs> little comments, but oh, only nice. I could hear them. So yeah. you were kind, kind yeah. of on the podcast. It felt like in it. A way. Yeah. yeah. In well, my own mind, which is, good. you know, common. Good. Well, welcome back. Your dad okay? Yes, he's fine. Thank nice you. Nice to have you back. And uh, before we get into our questions tonight, I want to read uh, two brief news stories that refer to what we've talked about before on this podcast. CNN reports Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has failed to form a government, opening the door for his main rival, Benny Gantz, to do so. Netanyahu said last night, quote, in the course of recent weeks, I made every effort to bring Gantz to the negotiating table time and time he refused. Israeli President Reuven Rivlin will now give the mandate to form a government to Gantz, the leader of the Blue and White Party. This is exactly what we said some weeks ago when we discussed this, because Gantz said he would not be part of any negotiation with Benjamin Netanyahu. And today he said that he'll try to form a government, but he will not form it with Likud if Netanyahu stays on as leader. This right. is exactly what we predicted. Not, not a great man, but a great decision. Right. Uh, 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 Gantz, and why should why should Gantz not have first shot at forming government? He got more more yeah, votes. Yeah, I wonder about Yahoo. that too. But it's probably because there was no clear winner. That's what they say in in the in the piece that I just quoted from. But um, Netanyahu, the bottom line, couldn't do it. And remember, the whole point that we made a couple of weeks ago was that if Netanyahu is no longer party leader or in parliament, he is open to corruption charges. So right. he could end Sound up in familiar? jail. familiar? Is there anybody like that in the United States? <laughs> Better run for office because otherwise you're Yeah, and here's a paragraph. Down, uh, down here's a paragraph we should all <laughs> applaud, although it comes way too late. Reuters reports a U.S. State Department investigation of Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server while she was Secretary of State has found no evidence, I repeat those words, no evidence of deliberate mishandling of classified information by department employees. And was talk about it. Talk least? about a story that got yeah, no coverage. Exactly. We're of the yeah. same mind. Yeah. Rachel did a great thing the other night. She had all the mashup of Trump saying she should go to prison and all the mm -hmm. locker up chants. And, uh, you know, where are the Republicans? Are they apologizing? No. For this now? No, now they're talking about, well, it doesn't really matter because it's still the 30,000 emails that she erased. That's their new thing. That's their new thing? Yeah. Okay. Uh, they're not going to, I mean, they're going to pivot every, every time they ever get stopped at any ridiculous, stupid stuff, they pivot to something else. Right. It's fake news. It didn't happen or it did happen. Get over it. Right. That's correct. <laughs> okay. With those two uh, updates, let's I, I just want to, before I get yes. into it, I just want to very say, and I, I don't really have much to say about it. I just want to say that it's very sad that we've lost Elijah Cummings. Uh, uh, I felt really good whenever I saw him sitting in a chair in Congress. Mm -hmm. I felt like he was, like I was looked after to some extent, and I'm going to miss him. And I just want to say that. Here, here to that. And, you know, it's when you read his, people who re read his various obituaries, I think all of us were learning things about mm -hmm. his life yes. and his career that we didn't yes. know, yes. which paints a even more courageous uh, picture than we had imagined, right. I think. So uh, here, here. And but, any, any Democrat who can work collaborative, collaboratively with Trey Gowdy is a better person than I am. So he <laughs> I couldn't do it. Obviously, was a great man. I couldn't do it. And to yeah. sit next to Jim Jordan. Jeez. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, that talk might... about the voice of moral clarity. Yes. I mean, right. He really embodied that. And he really was a champion of public servants as well. And we, we need that and we'll, that'll be missed. I was rather shocked that Trump's tweet was above board. 
wishing his family well and honoring him only what a couple months after he denigrated his service and denigrated the city of Baltimore. Right. So it was probably written by Baron Trump. Maybe. <laughs> uh, but to get in to get into this evening's uh, uh, festivities or days or mornings or whenever you're watching or listening, uh, he, he, here's what one of the things we want to talk about is. Does Donald Trump's reversal on the G7 meeting at the Doral Resort indicate that he's running scared over public opinion? And are there signs that the Republican wall is beginning to crack on impeachment? I think it shows the power of impeachment. If this had happened four months ago, they would have just steamrolled ahead. But now that this can neatly be rolled up into a separate article of impeachment and the level of backlash, they actually had to do something about it. And so I think it does show that they're running a little bit scared. And, you know, I have some mixed feelings about this. I mean, on one hand, I like to see that the political bumpers are up, that they can't really do anything they want. But on the other hand, I kind of wish they'd stuck their guns in this because it was such an obvious example yeah. of overreach. Yes. And, and it was it – was, Fun and useful to see his usual uh, collaborators um, in a really difficult spot, right? Having to defend the Doral decision um, was a tough spot. And so a lot of them went into hiding, which was great not to hear from Jim Jeffords or not Jim Jeffords, Jim Jordan for a couple more weeks was fantastic. I think it's got to be exhausting to be a GOP member of Congress because they're always asking you to defend. The media is coming to you asking you to defend Trump's actions. How can you? And he's gotten so far afield right now of them on Syria and other issues. They must be exhausted. And I think it shows the pressure that they can exert back onto Mm -hmm. him when they need to. And I'm pretty sure that emoluments are going to end up as an article of impeachment. And every day he's giving more fuel to the fire in that and um, and other articles. You know, uh, an addendum of what you said, Dylan, and I forget who said it um, on MSNBC this week, but uh, Republicans in the Senate now, because it looks like impeachment will happen. Mm-hmm. It's not that they can, like with Charlottesville, just kind of pivot or what Paul just explained. They actually have to vote. Mm-hmm. They have to vote. And history will record their vote. So I think they're in a little bit more difficult position now with this. I wouldn't be surprised to see McConnell try to make the vote a secret vote so that people don't know who voted for what. Well, I think if it's a secret vote, I think he's convicted. I think the public <laughs> vote is the only thing that keeps him out of office or keeps him in office because the, the base it will be unhappy. Well, you know, one thing I want to say about Doral is, you know, it's the hilarity of it for Mick Mulvaney to come out to say that this was the best spot. I mean, it, this is a resort. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it is in Miami in June, which is not a great place to be. It's hurricane season. And if anybody's been reading the Yelp reviews, this is a place that's infested with bed bugs. Yes. And so, I mean, just to say this was the best spot, it, it's so laughable. Well, there was also the, the feeling, the, the idea that it doesn't have high occupancy in June, and that's why he was trying to get extra right. money. 30% occupancy. Yeah. 30, 38%. Right. 38%. Their, their revenues have gone down 70% since he's become president. You know, um, on the impeachment front, by the way, uh, New York Times Siena College poll just out says 50 percent of voters now support the impeachment inquiry in these key states, Pennsylvania, Florida, Michigan, Wisconsin, North Carolina and Arizona. So Beautiful. they're reaching a threshold now. And these these polling numbers, uh, you know, Republicans read them, too. And today, this is Tuesday. We're recording on Tuesday. I think the, the most damning testimony yet from all we've heard, Bill Taylor went in to the committee. He is the former ambassador to Ukraine, Ukraine who came out of retirement to replace Marie Yukonovich, um, uh, Yovanovich, who had who was dumped by Trump. He is, by all accounts, uh, a great American, served in Vietnam, a career official under George W. Bush, under Barack Obama. And his opening statement and testimony today was particularly damning, not only tying all these loose threads together, but saying very clearly it came from Trump. Right. And, And very clearly showing the line. Donald Trump said, if they don't investigate the Bidens, and if the guy, uh, uh, Zelensky, doesn't make a public announcement in yeah. front of a microphone that he's going to investigate the Bidens, he doesn't get the money that Congress voted to give him for, the, for Ukraine security, which is, to some extent, Europe's and the United States' security. Right. Um, but 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 Trump, I just want to say Trump got caught with his tiny fingers in the cookie jar <laughs> in Florida. Well, I have a question about Doral for you guys. Uh, Trump has said that 
we are actually the losers here because he was going to give his facility to the U.S. government for free of charge. And I say he's full <laughs> of crap. Can you even believe that? <laughs> you, you believe um, that. Brooklyn Bridge is for sale. You know, the most shocking thing about this to me was uh, yesterday Trump comes out and calls the Emoluments Clause the, quote, phony Emoluments right. Clause. It's Article 1, Section 9, uh, Clause 8. <laughs> I mean, it's right there in the Constitution. Right. And it, it reminds you that when you hear Trump talk, you have to use a decoder. So, for example, when he says America, he means Trump. When he says Democrats hate America, I love America. No, Democrats hate Trump. He loves Trump. Um, when he says uh, phony, that means nothing. That means phony means things that are bad for him, nothing to do with their credibility. So, I mean, if you ever needed an example, I mean, to call the Monuments Clause phony, I mean, come on, give me but a break. But Dylan, I, think about how much time we could have saved in law school not studying the phony <laughs> Monuments Clause. Just, just, I would have been, been done better in torts. If Article I 1, Section 9, Clause 8 says for our audience... No person holding any office or trust under them shall, without the consent of Congress, accept any present, emolument, office, or title of any kind, whatever, from any king, prince, or foreign state. Period. There's also a domestic emoluments clause as well, and as foreign. Let me make another point about the Constitution while we're on that. Uh, There is a lot of vagueness in wording in the Constitution, and one of them is high crimes and misdemeanors. It's never spelled out, and this is, of course, what um, an official can be impeached for. Um, It's interesting, the 1828 edition of Webster's American Dictionary of the English Language defined misdemeanor. And again, let's listen to this because this is closer closer (laughs) to when the founders were living till we are now. But it was defined at that time, at least in 1828, as, quote, ill behavior, evil conduct, fault, or mismanagement. I think Trump's 0 for 4 (laughs) on those. Not that this is going to be used as the standard, but that is uh, uh, what it was defined as in 1828. Let me me say one other thing about what Bill Taylor did today uh, or what the Democrats are doing in this inquiry. They are building a case block by block, piece by piece. And it's not from Democratic partisans. These are from career uh, State Department or, or uh, government officials. So they have a lot more credibility, I guess, when you have the – although Republicans will condemn them anyway. I get that. But what the Democrats are doing is seeking the truth. Now, Trump, you know, he, he calls this a witch hunt and a lot of Republicans, including Marsha Blackburn, are all calling it a witch hunt. It's phony. It's political. What Democrats are doing is following the truth. And Kim, I think you thank you for showing up at my speech on on Saturday. It was great. One of the first oh, you didn't have to say it that. Was wonderful. You you can be on the podcast next week. I heard all um, about it. But but a list of things that I asked people to do to fight Trumpism. Number 1 on the list and I can't believe I have to say this in 2019 is seek the truth. I mean, we live in an age where um, the medic the, the food stamps fraud rate for instance is federal food stamp fraud rate is less than 1%. You turn on Fox and you think it would be 99%. 98% of climate scientists say we have global warming, humans are causing it. You turn on Fox and all they talk about is the 2%, okay? So we are living in a world where we must seek objective truth. Objectivity is that which is confirmable, is true. So what Democrats are doing is building the factual record. And I'm only hoping that most Americans will find that more persuasive. I know a lot of Trump people won't, Mm -hmm. but I think it's a clear division between the other side that's just spinning around with lies and nonsense and what we're doing. Well, it's tough because there are a certain number of closed-door hearings, and this is involving national security, so that's required. But we are getting quite a bit coming out of, you know, summaries and high-level things and uh, opening statements, and that's really helpful, I think, to right. the public and help, helping them understand. And we have to get this out in the open at some point, and the Democrats will. I'm just worried that enough time is going by, although I like the parade in and out because people <laughs> want to know, and I like that the president is still very defensive about it. But, you know, again, we, we live in a world where – 
where uh, the Brennan Center for Justice at NYU says we have more of a chance of being struck by lightning than impersonating someone else at the voting polls. And yet, according to Trump, hundreds of thousands of illegals are voting in our election. My favorite was back in, in uh, it, it, I think you all remember this, but in 2011, John Kyle, who was then the senator from Arizona, gave yeah. a speech uh, on the Senate floor, and he said more than 90% of what Planned Parenthood does hmm. is abortions. Yeah. Now, the truth is, it's 3%. And of course, he was caught in the lie, politifact, and there was an outrage. And his office put out this statement, quote, the senator's remarks were not meant to be factual, unquote. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, the, that's the funniest one. But we that's live- That's where Killian Cutley got it. <laughs> right. This is where we live. So Democrats seeking the truth have not only the higher moral ground, but the, uh, the I think, more of the imprint that we are- the worthy governors of this nation. Well, they're trying to peddle the notion that it's it's not illegal to lie to the press. <laughs> well, <laughs> or Mick. And, and I have to say one thing. I am very encouraged by the public servants that do come forward yes. and are defying, right. you know, Yovanovitch. She was prohibited, like all the other... Um, the other witnesses prohibited from testifying, and she did it anyway. That's why and, the corrupt administration is afraid of the, quote, deep state. And well, I got, it's giving courage to others to uh, come absolutely. forward as well. And, and remember, these aren't even the original whistleblowers. Mm-hmm. These are people who are confirming, from all we know, what the initial whistleblowers were concerned about. You know, I think going back to the original question, I think Trump is rattling me today. He said, uh, you know, he, he complains that uh, all – here's his tweet. All Republicans must remember what they are witnessing here, a lynching. He actually mm-hmm. used the word lynching. Um, I – you know, even for Trump – who's, I think, a racist, uh, this was uh, almost a new low. But part of that question that we started this with is, uh, is is the Republican wall beginning to crack? Uh, I haven't really seen much of that. I've seen Mitt Romney. I've seen Adam Kinziger. Well, Francis Rooney this past weekend. You know, we mentioned him on this show several weeks ago because he's a Republican who believes in climate change. Who retired. He's retiring. He only retired the day after he says he was mulling impeachment. And then for some reason, maybe he feels he wouldn't get reelected. Maybe someone put the stiff arm on, strong arm on him. But um, he was one. And uh, Dylan, you texted me that you heard what Mark Shields say. This weekend, that that if that there are about thirty five Republicans oh, in the yeah. House, right? That, that he said that if the vote was taken today, there'd be a twenty to thirty Republican House members that would vote for impeachment. Wow! So I mean, that's Mark Shields. I don't know where he's getting that from, but I usually find him to be a pretty reliable source of information. I, I'm not really sure, and f- please forgive me if I'm wrong. I think Mitt Romney said the same thing about a week ago mm-hmm. that if it was a secret vote, there might be thirty or thirty five. Well, Shields was saying not in an open vote on the floor of the House. Well, he would well. lose twenty to. 30 Republicans. I think what you said several weeks ago is true, maybe even last on the last podcast, that if they decide en masse that they, that they would either vote to impeach or to convict the Republicans, they would have more cover. Mm-hmm. I actually think one of the calculations they're making is, will he win next year? He seems I, to have lost a, a bit of Mitch McConnell, too, right. by the way. I, I think that they're making the calculation. Their, their hope is that may, even if he's impeached, he'll survive in the Senate and he'll win re-election. If they feel like the Democratic field is really light and, and Trump can take any of the Democrats, they'll be less likely to convict, I think. If they feel like he may be in political trouble, they may cut him loose now. But I don't know the answer to it, and, and, and we're not going to know the answer for a long time. And that's such an important point that so many of these Beltway pundits are telling us House is going to impeach, Senate's going to acquit, and everyone's going to move on. Yeah. We're we don't know that. We that, have no that idea. is not. I'm not taking that for granted at all. I think the only step that we can be pretty sure about is the House is going to impeach. I feel pretty confident about that. What the Senate does, that's up in the air. It really yeah. depends on public opinion too. And if we see more protests, people taking to the streets, I feel like there will be pressure. Hopefully, that will. Kim, that is such an important point. Maybe the best one made in this segment is that we have to get out there and make a public case that we've had. Enough. And, and, you know, we see it in these polls, and I just re- repeated another one. Uh, but if Republicans really feel the heat from voters in their districts and in their states, I mean, really hear the voices, it's going to make it harder for them to, uh, to say no. Yeah, I'm shocked that people like Cory Gardner of Colorado 
aren't coming out more forcefully against Trump. I mean, people in really difficult re-election races for Republicans are sticking to their guns. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, I think is suicide, which I mean, I th- political suicide. So I, well, I, so I, I stand behind their poor decision making. I think wait for Biden Gardner anyway. As soon as Hickenlooper said, I'm running, I think Gardner's out. You I, probably, I, I think right. it was out anyway. My guess is we're looking at a 64. Well, I said the same thing about Russ Feingold last time in uh, Wisconsin. Well, you should have been right. <laughs> but let's move on a little bit. Let's move on to... Uh, 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 a lady who shares the name with T, uh, Tulsi Gabbard. She's been lavishly praised by Steve Bannon, Franklin Graham, David Duke. Uh, I must say to her credit, she's rejected uh, David Duke. And last week she called Hillary Clinton a warmonger in the embodiment of corruption. Is Gabbard really a Democrat? Will she run as a third-party candidate in 2020? She frightens me um, because I, I don't know I don't know what she's doing. She's 38 years old. I found out she's only nine months older than Pete Buttigieg, which I didn't know they were that close in age. Um, she has a great political future for herself, and she seems to be throwing it away. With she's this, got a great future in the Republican Party. Maybe um, she's a. I mean, you mentioned some of the names that appraise her. You left off Ron Paul and Richard Spencer, the white nationalist yes. leader. Um, she's a frequent guest on Tucker Carlson's show. And every time she's given the opportunity to speak about Democrats, she can't wait to explain why Democrats are also to blame for our problems. Um, and now she's taking a page out of the Trump playbook, which is to uh, say the system's out to get her. She wants to sue Google now, says the Democratic Party is rigged against her. And she seems – well, she's super – able to criticize other Democrats. She seems reluctant to criticize Trump. She was one of the very last House Democrats to come out in favor of the impeachment inquiry and only did so after her Democratic primary challenge back home started to shame her for it. So I'll let you guys weigh in here, but there's a lot here to be worried about. A little way in is I'm not so sure about her political future that you think she might have had if she kept her mouth shut. Uh, well, I didn't say that. I don't think she needs to hear Mousha to be a, have a future. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, Dan. I don't want to misquote <laughs> you. But uh, uh, Maisie Hirono has, has said, I will not support her for her job in, mm-hmm. 19, in 2020. And she has a she has very contender. Serious challenger. She's got a cha- challenger uh, for her seat in, in Hawaii as well. And I think trying to move ahead in the public consciousness by starting this, this uh, uh, war against Hillary Clinton – is is a it, in my opinion a last ditch effort on her part to become famous, and I think that we're doing the world a disservice by even talking about her because she's not that significant. My opinion. Yeah, well, you're, as you said, Dylan, she's starting to master grievance politics, and that's what she mm-hmm. has in common with Trump. Uh, we used to call that this a dino, right? Democrat in name only. Uh, it's very hard to pin down exactly what she stands for. She will say she's against foreign wars, but she really emphasizes regime change foreign wars. She went across <coughs> the ocean to meet with Assad in 2017. The um, She's praised him. Yeah. yeah. The butcher of Syria, Bashar al-Assad. She's yeah. not only met with him, she defends him consistently. And others have refused to meet with him because of his use of chemical weapons on <coughs> civilians. So... Um, she is downplaying the Russian threat. That's one of her positions. Um, and she thinks that the threat from uh, Russia is severely exaggerated. And she wants to make nice with North, North Korea. So it is kind of hard to tell what, what she really stands for. And um, she is a frequent visitor of on, uh, on Tucker Carlson. And 538 said that she votes with in line with Trump. Trump's positions 19.4% of the time. And I read a, a New York article, a New York Times interview with her, 18 questions. 18 questions like, where do you stand on health care? Where do you stand on the Second Amendment? All that stuff. I think she gave a, 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 a significantly a proper answer to maybe 15 of those questions. She doesn't give answers. She doesn't let people know what she thinks. By the way, uh, I do believe that David Duke uh, 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 became a fan of hers when she said that she's not that we have to have we have to keep America above Israel. That's when David Duke went. Well, he, his quote be- was, uh, "She's not for sell- sending white Americans to die in the Middle East for Israel." That was his right. exact quote. Um, I have a lot to say about this. No kidding. <laughs> um, and, and we should add for those who aren't aware of the context that Hillary made a comment that 
she she didn't use Gabbard's name, but she said one of the Democratic candidates may be being, being groomed as a Russian asset or, or groomed, groomed as a third party candidate. Yeah, or might run for. She used the word asset, but might run as a third party. Actually, maybe Hillary did a brilliant thing in that now, if Tulsi Gabbard does run as a third party <laughs> candidate, she will be seen as a quote unquote Russian asset. But I I want to expand the frame on this quite a bit, and and I don't know that I've done a rant on this podcast yet, but I feel one. Here it comes. Right now. I, uh, in addition to everything that you said, you know, she, she pounded Obama for not using the term radical Islam like right. that would have made a difference. And she defends the butcher, uh, Bashar al-Assad. Um, I was wary of her from the very beginning when she was a candidate. In fact, I said on Facebook, I wouldn't support her. And I know I'm breaking the rule here that we said in, in, we're all maybe breaking it, that we said in the first episode of this podcast that we wouldn't criticize Democratic candidate. But I, w- I was really upset with her at the beginning because um, she was a homophobe for many years. Her dad, Mike Gabbard, uh, ran these uh, conversion, very anti-gay organizations. Do you remember um, the name of it? it was, it's there were several. Uh, the Alliance for uh, Traditional Values and another one called Stop promoting homosexuality. Right. I remember that one. This was during the time when, when Hawaii was debating civil unions and, and later gay marriage. In fact, Tulsi Gabbard was on a video where she equated same-sex same sex marriage, marriage, same-sex marriage to incest, pedophilia, and uh, bestiality. Now, Gary and I argue a lot about who doesn't put things away properly in the refrigerator. <laughs> uh, Sounds like my marriage. Yeah. So I was leery of her from the beginning because of this alone. Now, she has apologized. Um, I take her to word that her apology is sincere. Her, her father, by the way, still, um, he saw the video of her apologizing, and his word to the press was, oh, I, I didn't realize that I caused her so much trauma. Not gay people. Mm-hmm. He apologized, and he still holds that the the, the marriage should be between. Did the her man apology and the woman. come around when she decided to run for Congress? Y- yes. Oh, well, I just have, in, in the Democratic Party. Yeah. Let me make a connection here. Um, many people on the right love Vladimir Putin. One of the main reasons they love Vladimir Putin is that he suppresses gay people in Russia. Now, I'm. I may not be convincing in drawing the line from Tulsi Gabbard's former anti-gay stance to Putin being anti-gay. But Pat Buchanan, I went back and looked at his columns. He loves Putin. In 2013, he wrote that Putin was the one who was going to stand against the secular rot of the West, uh, against homosexual marriage, pornography, and the destruction of traditional values. In 2017, Pat Buchanan wrote that Putin was, quote, the preeminent statesman of our time, unquote. And then he said he's a god and country patriot, and then went on another anti-gay rant. Sick. And there are plenty of right-wingers in this country who love Putin, and this not just in the United States. Marine Le Pen in France with the National Front and and, uh, a lot of far-right leaders in Hungary and Austria and Germany and the Netherlands praise Putin because they say he's going to keep Russia's identity, I'm meaning white identity, just like they want European identity to be white. Now, I want to call out people on the left here, and this is part of my rant, that it's not only um, supporting Vladimir Putin or towing his line, it's not only among right wing. We have had at least four progressive radio and TV hosts who love to complain about the corporate media who worked for years on RT which is Russia today. This is wholly owned by the Kremlin. It's Putin's propaganda arm in the West. And these uh, radio hosts are in the progressive stripe claim that they have control over their editorial content that no one tells them what to do. Well, I don't believe that at all because just think about it. Had they criticized Putin's seizure of, of Crimea or his shooting down of a passenger jetliner, or his suppressing gay people, or interfering in the 2016 election, they would be gone in a New York minute. There was one, not the four that I mentioned, but there was one journalist who stood up on RT, and she resigned on air. Her name is Liz Wall, W-A-H-L. Liz Wall, two days after Putin annexed Crimea, she ended her broadcast on RT with, quote, I cannot be part of the network funded by the Russian government that whitewashes the actions of Putin. Since then... 
She has given interviews, multiple interviews, where she said that uh, her job was to uh, bring on as many guests that were anti-West, anti-U.S. as possible and gin them up to be as anti-American as possible. And by the way, Liz Walla right now is running for Congress as a Democrat in Texas's 23rd Congressional District, and I hope she runs. I give Rachel Maddow, who was not on RTV, incredible credit for daily trying to connect the dots with this Russian interference in our election, whereas the other four hosts never talked about Russian interference because they were being paid by Vladimir Putin. And I'm calling them out right now. I'm not going to use their names. You can figure out who they they are. You can go and find out who has been a host for RT in the um, on the liberal side. Now, lastly, I want to say I'm really, really tired of the Hillary bashing. I'm tired of it. And this, you know, what Hillary said is what Hillary said, but the response was over the top by Tulsi Gabbard. It's total Hillary bashing that we heard from the far left. It's doing the same line that came from Putin and Trump. And look, if you voted for Hillary, you have every right to criticize her campaign, that she didn't go to Wisconsin, that she didn't take Trump seriously. She may not have been the best candidate. That is your right because you voted for Hillary Clinton. But if you did not vote for Hillary Clinton as a Democrat and a progressive, and I see, I mentioned on the first episode here, seeing young people rioting after Trump was elected, most of them interviewed by local news didn't vote. I watched a town hall with Michael Moore and Chris Hayes on MSNBC in September of last year, and five young Democrats were interviewed who did not vote in the election. Oh, Hillary didn't uh, inspire me and so forth. Let me ask you a question. If you're a progressive and a Democrat and you know that only Trump or Hillary Clinton will win the election, it's a binary choice, and you vote third party, if you know the Supreme Court is at stake and you don't vote, you're telling me that you can't tell the difference between Hillary Clinton, who at 24 years old went down to Alabama, Dothan, Alabama, and exposed discrimination against African-American students who were not being allowed in public and private schools, then went to Texas and registered Hispanic voters. You can't decide between her and Donald Trump, who wouldn't rent his apartments in New York City, to people of color or African-Americans. You can't tell the difference between Hillary Clinton, who traveled every corner of this world to lift up girls and women to take their rightful place in society, versus Donald Trump, who sexually assaulted and raped women. That's pathetic. I am sick of the Hillary bashing. You can do it and criticize her campaign, but those, especially on the right and the far left, which really got under my skin, who didn't vote in the election and voted third party, you need to shut the F up. They own Kavanaugh and Gorsuch. Those people are responsible for Kavanaugh and Gorsuch being on the Supreme Court. I'd like to say, Carl, great rant. I agree with every word of it. Um, I want to pick up on one thing, back to Gabbard. I, I agree with you that Tulsi Gabbard's remarks back to Hillary were so over the top. And you know what they reminded me of was Tulsi Gabbard's comments to Kamala Harris during the debates when she went after her. You, They were such a level of spitefulness and hateful. It felt like a kamikaze mission where, where basically Tulsi was saying to herself, I'm going to take us both down. And I don't care that I'm being destroyed as long as right. I take you down too. It didn't feel like a Democrat going after a Democrat in a primary at all. Did you ever hear her go like that after Putin or after no. Trump? Exactly. Right. Which tells me – that she's planning a career beyond maybe Congress, that she's going to end up on Fox. You well, know, like just, right. just remember that a lot of these Republicans who run and who have run in presidential primaries of the past know they're not going to win, but they know they've got a slot on right. Fox or some other right wing show when they're done. She I, kept uh, voters waiting at a rally in Iowa to appear on. <laughs> I, you know, later on it, I didn't even know that. That's crazy. In in twenty in twenty sixteen, remember she was I think vice chair of the DNC, and she quit that position so she could endorse Bernie Sanders in in the in the campaign. And at the time, you know, in the primary, I supported Bernie over Hillary in twenty sixteen, uh, and was enthusiastic. And I looked at her as wow, what a bold individual. But when you now when you look back on her decision to do that in the frame of what we're seeing now is. There's not a there's not a pattern here of her pushing an idea or a policy or philosophy. It's as a disruptor, and so now even her endorsement of Bernie, which I support at the time, I now question that that was even done for the right reasons. No one can make sense of her policy. Actually, you mm -hmm. it's a mishmash. Mm -hmm. By the way, uh, here's what Hillary said exactly. If you don't mind giving me thirty seconds, they're also going to do third party again 
Clinton said. I'm not making any predictions, but I think they've got their eye on someone who's currently in the Democratic primary primary, and are grooming her to be the third party candidate. She's the favorite of the Russians. They have a bunch of sites and bots and other ways of supporting her. We just learned that this week that Facebook has had to, um, you know, has had to expel these fake accounts, mm-hmm. which are doing uh, in this case, to, to Joe Biden, what was done to Hillary in in 2016. So they're still at it, and you know they're going to be at it no matter what. And I want to point out that Hillary also went after Jill Stein. And, you know, I don't know, yes. if, I don't know if Jill Stein's a Russian asset, but she's at least a useful idiot for, for Putin. And uh, I like that Hillary's gloves are off and come after. I wish she would have done this more in 2016. I, I think she probably would have won the election. Um, but, yeah, this, these third-party candidates, they ought to be called out. And I saw Jill Stein's response – who cares? I mean, she's she's a spoiler candidate. I think she was uh, she was there for one reason to take the election away from Hillary, and so uh, good on Hillary for going after these people. By the way, a Russian asset is not a spy. So if you're calling someone a Russian asset, you're not saying they're a spy. Uh, a Russian asset, according to Putin, a Russian asset is a thing or a person that is useful or valuable to Russia. That's it. And not a spy. I understand that these candidates have to go after each other in the debates because you got 12 people on stage. You've got to make a point. You've got to make a name for yourself. You've got to get some ink somehow. So there's an incentive built in to throw some dirt, tussle with, you know, your opponent. But I think you're right, Dylan. You have to do it in a way that is um, not just going for the jugular, Mm -hmm. not that like. Show me some clever. Yeah. Show me some humor. Show me some smiles. Absolutely. You've got to ingratiate right. yourself. Don't show me a, 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 a knife. Don't right. show me but Paul, sharp teeth. I, I agree with you, right? I mean, you look at Tulsi. She's completely joyless. I agree. Like, totally. She, she feels like the Manchurian candidate who's been programmed to go in there and just right. destroy as much right. as she can. Have you right. ever seen and her tell a joke? <laughs> She's really shooting herself in the foot at her in her home district, I think, because that district went for Clinton by thirty one point eight percent. I don't think she cares. I think she 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 wants to be a prominent figure uh, in in politics and pop culture, and she may have uh, you know elevated herself to that point where after this election or after the primaries, she'll have that role. With no evidence, I say she may already be sitting on an offer from Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> you know, I have a friend who works high up in the Tulsi Gabbard campaign. Oh, yeah. And this friend uh, thinks very highly of Congresswoman Gabbard and thinks that all of this is going to blow over and we're going to see what a great person and candidate she <laughs> let is. Me, let me also say that she's, she was involved very much with a cult in Hawaii called the Science of Identity, uh, which has a, uh, a, a surfer dude kind of leader. Uh, and his his uh, right wing right right wing right hand person is now her number two person in her campaign. She has not left that cult. Uh, she's still part of it. So well, I don't think to say we're not voting for Tulsi. Yeah, I was just going to say. <laughs> I, just, I, I just feel I guess that uh, she doesn't have any votes from us. Look, she's not going to get the nomination. Mm-hmm. She's obviously let's, doing. Let's move from. She's obviously doing some play here for her personal future, yes. for her for her own future. But you know, the bottom line is we have to get rid of Donald Trump. All of us will support the nominee of Permit the Democratic Party. Pivot. Permit me a pivot. My pivot is going to well, be pivot away, my friend. <laughs> Let us pivot to to the Bernie man. The media has recently coined the term Bernie's comeback. He's re- <laughs> he's recovered from his heart attack. I guess that's some comeback. And this week, he secured the endorsement of AOC. In fr- I'm, I'm saying AOC because I keep getting her name wrong. In front of twenty five thousand supporters in New York, is Bernie back? And is AOC's endorsement of Bernie a good thing? I think Bernie's numbers are very, very impressive, and he should he deserves a lot of credit. Numbers? For, you mean uh, the the crowd numbers? Yeah, the crowd okay. numbers. People who come out and Not support the poll him. Numbers. Yeah, right. but if he were to pull twenty five thousand people in Iowa, I would be a lot more impressed. Right. Yeah, I, Astoria is is New York City. It's AOC country. It's it's. Uh, I mean, I grew up there. I know what it is. I might have showed up if if I was living there. <laughs> well, you got nothing else you can do in Astoria. Go to the river. You know, I I love Bernie. I adore Bernie. I fell in love with him well before 2016, and I'm still in love with him. Um, I'm so relieved to hear. That I, he- I just really have to pause that straight Dylan is in love with another man. Okay. <laughs> hey, Bernie brings something special to the table. What can I say? Uh, but he is uh, – 
I'm so relieved that he is doing amazingly well since his heart attack. That debate performance after his heart attack was amazing. I mean, to come back that soon after heart attack. And I love that he is in this race. I love the passion that he brings. I wish more candidates, they've copied his policies. I wish they would copy his his enthusiasm and, and anger, to be frank. And his style. And the his pointing. style, right. Well, um, I, 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 I argue with both of you on that. Okay. On his style and his pointing. And his, his AOC. Oh, you were. Uh, thank you very the much. The endorsements of AOC and the other two members of the squad shows – I'm impressed by the squad because – when they endorsed him, he was a candidate in decline, steep decline. And so they would come out and support him, tell me that these are people of real principle. But, you know, people that like that love Bernie like me have to also acknowledge reality, which is that he had he, – after the heart attack, he had an amazing week. The debates came in. He did fantastic. The, the money he's raising is way past what Biden – I think right now he has the most cash on hand of any candidate. And then he gets these three huge endorsements. But then you look at the polls that have come out since then. They're not moving. In fact, they've actually gotten worse in Iowa. He slipped from third to fourth place. He's now at 9% in Iowa. And the national polls, he's sitting at the best one has him at like 24%. So. I say those three endorsements are going to cost him numbers. They're well, not going to help him. Well, they may help him in Queens. And so the answer to your question, Paul, is is Bernie back? No, he's not. No. I believe he's not either. And I don't believe he's going to come back. I think his numbers are going to keep sinking. And by the way, in Iowa, I believe there was there were some polls and Bernie has not increased his percentage of the of of uh, voters in Iowa over his 2016 run. I do think Bernie deserves a lot of credit from 2016. He brought young people into the party. He Who wouldn't vote? Look, I'm not Look, I'm not I'm not a huge Bernie fan, like Dylan I'm, here has admitted to. I'm not. But I, w- I do believe he deserves some credit. Br- brings young people into the party. Brings enthusiasm. I think we need those things. He has a way of speaking to people that is emotional. It resonates it's, it's, with people. It's very emotional. <laughs> I, first of all, first of all. I'm trying Donald, to give credit before you tear Donald, him down, Carl. Donald Trump. I'm building him had, up so that you can tear him down. He had sexual relations with Stormy Daniels. <laughs> he had... He, he had sex with Miss Daniels. First of all, he not only had to pay money to Miss Daniels, he had to pay money to her lawyers, he had to pay money to Michael Cohen, he had to pay money to his lawyers, which is confirmation that he will never be for single payer. For, for the listeners at home, Carl's hand gestures were also perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he will never He's be for single payer. Well, I, 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 I think Bernie, I loved Bernie when Tom Hartman used to do brunch with Bernie on Fridays. Uh, Where Bernie didn't answer a single oh, question with specifics. Okay. I, I, it was I, always, I, the, the people need the, the, the medical care. They need medical care. Okay. I, I liked Bernie when I heard him there. Uh, but once he started campaigning, uh, number one, I don't like him as a person. I think he's he too is humorless. Uh, I think that he preaches rather than than You didn't than like talks. my single payer joke? <laughs> I, did I not laugh? <laughs> uh, and and I think that Bernie, you know, I'm I'm grateful that he attracted young people, but are, the, are those the ones that didn't vote? Well, I personally think that he didn't get enough credit for those three post offices that he named. <laughs> um, look, I agree with Kim that and and Dylan that he deserves great credit for bringing enthusiasm and a lot of young people to the process. A lot, a lot of young people. And I do think I, young people should get credit for showing up in 2018 right. because while they didn't do right. so in 2016, I think we're on an upward trajectory and, as I, far I, as and, that goes. Yeah, having I, said I, that, and I, I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who don't know what my position on <laughs> It may be the people in France. Um, but I wish that he had not run this time. Um, I, I think, and I said at the time when he ran, he announced his candidacy, that it just brings up all of the nastiness and the division of 2016. And um, so, I, you know, I, I don't think he's going to get the nomination. I do wish him well with his health. I, I wish myself well. Um, and I hope he has a long successful career in the Senate fighting for the things that most of us believe in. Post um, <laughs> But, you know, let me I, I just want to tie one last thing together here from what I said earlier in the show about seeking truth. There were, and I still hear them uh, from what I call the far left, these very dishonest conspiracy theories about Hillary Clinton that were pushed by Putin and Russia. 
And I don't think he did enough to dispel them, uh, the, you know, or dispel his uh, followers in 2016 from from repeating these. Um, and I want to say something about conspiracy theories. And someone mentioned Tom Hartman. Maybe I mentioned Tom Hartman. I did. Um, you know, Tom never found a conspiracy theory that he didn't love and latch on to. I remember we were having a discussion about John Kerry in 2004. You know, John Kerry, if he had won Ohio, would have been our president. And um, my feeling about conspiracy theories, we don't need them. What we have is to talk about that we know is bad enough, okay? Tom had this theory in 2004, and he repeated it over and over, that Karl Rove had a server in Tennessee that switched the votes at a certain time. He even had the time at 11.59 or whatever. Um, there's no evidence that Karl Rove had a secret server. We did have Ken Blackwell, who was the right-wing secretary of state of Ohio, who didn't count the provisional ballots and then destroyed them. That was enough. I mean, we didn't need the conspiracy theories. So, you know, he, he, he latched onto this Enron thing that Ken Lay's death in, in 2006 was faked. He even said he was on a private island somewhere and he, so he wouldn't go to prison. When we do these things, liberals look like uh, birthers. We look like the QAnon people. We don't need to do them. The 9-11 the, the truthers, for instance, I mean, we had enough to talk about. We invaded – Bush invaded Iraq. That was wrong. It was the wrong country. Uh, his administration had a war on civil liberties that was illegal. That's enough to talk about. I'll give you one anecdote that was the funniest of all. In 2014, on October 14th, I looked up the date. I was hosting a debate party at uh, an Oregon bar, uh, a debate between Senator Merkley, Jeff Merkley, and Monica Webby. So I introduced, um, t told some jokes, and then we all watched the debate, and I hosted a Q&O after. Before the debate, there was a, a regular KPOJ listener, and I was chatting with him, and I knew him because he called the show occasionally. And he started on 9-11 was an inside job. And I, I said, you know... You think about the number of people it would take to pull off something like <laughs> In this. In secret. Right. And, and then not, someone not talk about it. And he said to me, who says they were people? Okay. And, I, and I literally, it stopped me. And I waited for him to say, he said, who might look? And he said, I've looked at this. Who might be willing to look at the fact, the fact that the Bush administration might have used aliens to do it? And at well, that that's point, a relief. I thought you were going to say dogs and cats. Right. So at that <laughs> point, I turned and walked away. So when we're in an era where we have enough lies and enough Alex Jones conspiracy theories on the right, in fact, Trump has lies and conspiracy theories every day, we don't need to repeat. I agree. And I think that we should be coming to an end. Uh, as a, as a nation, as a world, as a podcast. Well, now that Carl has settled his scores. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you have any more scores? Do you have any I, more scores to settle? Score. Will that be next week? Four score and, and many years ago, I was born. <laughs> okay, something we might not know. Let's go. Okay, I've got one for you. Which animal or animals have more than one heart? I know. Octopus. Ah, yes. An octopus so, has three hearts, and an octopus is one of those aliens that tore down the tower. <laughs> so uh, the animal with the most hearts is an earthworm. Oh. Not technically hearts, but they're aortic arches of the earthworm that perform a similar function and commonly referred to as, as a heart for the sake of simplicity. It has five hearts, five arches, that are segmented and pump blood throughout its body. Then the second, there's two other animals. I don't that, know any of the others. Yeah, there's two <laughs> other animals that have multiple hearts. Uh, one so is, was octopus number one? Yes. Was he right? Oh, good. Yeah, he's right. So earthworm has the most. Um, the second, and the octopus is the alien that blew down the tower, too. The second <laughs> animal is an octopus or a squid, which has three hearts, one systemic, and then two gill hearts that force blood into the gills. Wow. And then finally, a hagfish has four hearts. A hagfish? Mm -hmm. A H-A-D? Hagfish. H-A-G. Oh, gee. Hagfish. You mean like that lady that ran <laughs> for president against Trump? And then there's a bonus answer, which none of you got, um, unfortunately. But a human can have more than one heart. I did right. Know because that. there have been uh, heart replacements that have happened where the ah. person got a second heart. And in some cases, oh. the heart, their original heart recovered enough to oh, remove I'm the second heart. I'm going to have later. a second heart. <laughs> 
Well, that's uh, fascinating. Uh, Kim, thank thank you, you for asking that in a quiz fashion, because I also have some quiz questions for you that will become <laughs> they are in uh, increasing difficulty. So, pres uh -oh. presidential trivia: Who was the first president uh, born in a hospital? Oh, that's a good one. It had to be post Lincoln. I had Kennedy. We got a Kennedy. Anybody I, else? I have no Jimmy idea. Jimmy Carter was the first president born in a hospital. Can you believe that? Well, I know I've I knew that LBJ okay. was born at home. I've uh, seen this. And the hospital had a solar panel on the roof. Who <laughs> <laughs> was the first president born west of the Mississippi River? Ronald Reagan. No, he was born in. Uh, they, this president did live in Oregon for six years. Herbert Hoover. Herbert Hoover. Yeah. Hoover Hoover. Uh, and then lastly, who was the only president of the 20th century who only had a high school education? Say that again. Who was the only president of the 20th century who only had a high school education? Harry Truman? That's it. Yeah. And we what didn't did, conspire. What did, Harry S. Truman, what did the S stand for? Nothing. Nothing. That's well. a great tribute. He didn't have a middle name and chose the initial S. So if you see Harry S. with a period after mm -hmm. the S, that is technically incorrect because it's not – um, it doesn't stand for a word. It's Harry S. without the period, Truman. This is this is not quite what we do, but I just want to announce that Donald Trump is banning the Washington Post and New York Times from the White House. Well, that's good. Uh, newspapers that'll will, close them down. The newspapers Poor Maggie. Will, will be he's canceling the Poor subscriptions. Uh, okay, I learned a word on television last night that it's the first time I ever, ever saw it. Does anybody know what a cacistocracy is? Cacistocracy? K-A-K-I-S-T-O-C. Cacistocracy? Cacistocracy. Where you the know? leader wears khakis? Is, is that, it sounds familiar, but I can't. Is that where all the leaders steal from the government? Close. Okay. A cacistocracy is a system of government that is run by the worst, least qualified, <laughs> and or most, in one. And or most <laughs> unscrupulous citizens. That is a legitimate word. Oh my it's gosh. a cacistocracy, and we are living in oh, it I now. I love that. I For absolutely sure. love that. Who decides what's pictured on U.S. stamps? Who's pictured on U.S. stamps? Do you have any idea? Uh, Bernie Sanders. There's a commission, right? The person has to be dead, I know. There's a committee. Uh, you're kind of right about the dead thing. There's a Citizens Stamp Advisory Committee. These are people who used to like to lick a lot, and they got on it. Um, but every, every uh, each year, the Postal Service receives about 30,000 ideas. And this is a committee of, uh, I don't know, 10 to 15 members who are 10 appointed. 10 to 15 lickers. Right, who are appointed by the Postmaster general. And they decide, they sift through all of these, and they say they go through all of them. They recommend about 20 to 25 subjects uh, to the postmaster general who will then uh, decide. Only positive contributions to the country are chosen. Disasters are not depicted on stamps. And here's the living or dead thing. Historically, a person couldn't be on a U.S. stamp unless he or she was dead for five years. Uh, then in 2011, they said, living people, okay. <laughs> then in 2018, they reversed again and said, no longer living people, but you have to be dead three years before you can be on a stamp. Oh, so I have a question. Yes. So from 2011 to 2018, when living people were allowed, were any right. living people actually put on the stamps? I, I, I should have investigated that because okay. I should have anticipated that. <laughs> I wasn't ready for it. I'll uh, give you the answer. You got me curious, Carl. But who was, who was the best-selling stamp? Who was on the best-selling stamp in U.S. history? Think Johnny Cash. It. Elvis Presley. You got it. Man, oh, Elvis good. Presley. So, I, bought the, I bought three sheets of Elvis stamps, and they're still in my file There cabinet. you go. Nice. So this week they announced Gwen Ifill will be oh, nice. on the Forever stamp. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. It's beautiful that, tribute that's fantastic. to her. Just as the post office is going out of business. Wonderful. Well, but, you know, Bernie <laughs> no. can have a hand, and, you know, he'll he's in By the, the way, the, the Postal Service was a cabinet department until 1970 when it became an independent agency of the executive branch. The first Postmaster General was Benjamin Franklin, 1775. The current Postmaster General, Megan Brennan, who became Postmaster General in 2015, the first woman in all these years, wow. all these years, she's the 74th Postmaster General we finally got a woman. So here, here, Megan Brennan, far too long for that to happen. I want to take this opportunity to thank our friends uh, on Facebook at Open Fire Politics and Kevin Kelton, who started it for their support uh, in, in our podcast. And uh, very much appreciate it. Go to Open Fire Politics if you want to have some arguments on the on on the internet yeah and you can find us on spotify google play and itunes if you want to search it just wolfpack and smart politics wolfpackpdx.com thank you patrick zahn who did our music paul brian sussman brian sussman thank you dylan hydes thank you kim upham thank you paul block we'll see you next week have a good one hey.